In Romans 15.4, he says, For whatever, whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and hope and comfort of the Scriptures, we might have hope. In 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 11, he teaches us that all these things have happened unto them for ensamples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. And so thus it's appropriate for us on this Mother's Day to be able to turn to the Old Testament and to be able to study some of the worthy women that we find there in the pages of Holy Writ, that we may be able to learn and to be admonished thereby. We have a New Testament precedent for studying outstanding women of God of the Old Testament. We can't read the New Testament without referring back to some of those that were in the Old Testament. Matthew mentions Ruth in the genealogies of Christ. Matthew 1, 1 and 5. We had the allegory of Hagar and Sarah in Galatians 4, 21-31. Also, it was Peter who speaks of Sarah and her New Testament daughters, 1 Peter 3, 6. James writes, Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way, James two twenty five. It was the Hebrews writer that also mentions Sarah and Rahab in Hebrews 11, 11 and 31. But then he additionally writes that women received their dead raised to life again, Hebrews eleven thirty five. And so with all of these other instances, Old Testament women are mentioned. And in the genealogies of our Lord as well, as they are in the Inspirations Hall of Fame. And so with very great profit, this morning, I hope that we can study these next four women, although this is not an exhausting with all of the women that we find in the Old Testament, but these particular four, in order in which they appear in our sacred text, the number of which is not being as well known as the other women in the Old Testament. We come to read about in Judges 13 and 14 about Manoah's wife. She shared life with her husband. As we read the account of Samson, we're strikingly impressed with the fact that as a couple, as husband and wife, as a mother and father, that Manoah and his wife had shared and lived their lives together as a cooperative closely knit unit. And this can be seen in Judges 13 and 14. But I found interesting that in 1 Peter 3 and verse 7, he teaches us that husbands and wives are to be heirs together of the grace of life, that their prayers be not hindered in any way. And so we're reminded that the parents of John the, the baptizer, of whom it is says, and they were both righteous before God, Luke 1 and verse 6. What a lesson for us as husbands and wives and for parents as well. That families should pray together and play together. For families that play and pray together, stay together. And yet how 
Frequently do we see that picture. How often do we do that, see that? Where the American home is, is what we find is becoming more and, and more nothing but a filling station. Where the mothers report in at mealtime and then they all go their separate ways. Where the American family is fast becoming disintegrated and fragmented. We need to return back to those great family values. That family togetherness where mothers and fathers, husbands and wives should have mutual friends, mutual interests, mutual projects and mutual admirations. Or admirations of them they, that they can be said and they both. Of them we can find how often we don't hear of that anymore. What we hear now is about the single parents. The single parent. She was prayerful as well upon the announcement that that they would become parents. Manoah and his wife went to go to God in prayer. Judges 13, 2 through 8. We unquestionably, we find that even Job must have been a praying father in, in Job 1, verse 5. But it's also interesting that she wanted to rear her, her child according to the will of God. In Judges 13, and verse 8. We find that it says that the Moa, that Manoah had entreated the Lord to teach us what we shall do unto the child that shall be born. It was later that he also said, how shall we do unto him? Judges thirteen twelve. But notice the us and notice the we of the prayer and notice the source to which they went. They went to God. But how many today go to these humanistic and denominational sources instead of going to God Himself. Truly they were desirous of bringing up Samson in the way that he should go, Proverbs 22.6, that, that they were anxious to bring him up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, Ephesians 6.4. It was thrice blessed as a child is the one who grows up in such a home. She did not follow the philosophy of letting her child to follow his own natural heart. Have you ever heard that I'm, I'm not going to try to influence my children when it comes to matters religiously. In fact, that I'm, I'm going to let him make his own or her make her own decision. Friends, we might as well reason that I'm not going to try to prejudice my garden in favor of Strawberries that I'm just going to let the, the clods make the decision of whether I have cockerburrs or strawberries. You see, God surely wants us to influence our children in the way of righteousness. Deuteronomy 6, 6-9. However, we find that she had her heart broken. Because even though Samson had such a rich parental background, he grew up to be a grave disappointment to his parents. You see, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Proverbs 22.6 is only the general rule. This rule has exceptions. Or otherwise, this text would teach the impossibility of apostasy. 
But Samuel's boys were a disappointment to him in 1 Samuel 8, verses 1 through 5. The Proverbs writer said in Proverbs 17, 25, that a foolish son is a grief to his mother, to his father, and bitterness to her that bear him. He goes on to say in Proverbs 10 and verse 1, that a wise son maketh a glad father, but a foolish son is the heaviness of his mother. Some go wrong under such favorable circumstances as we find that Adam and Eve had done and Ananias and Sapphira. While others do right under such adverse circumstances as did the saints in Caesar's household and Enoch. But Samson was one of those who went wrong under such favorable circumstances and with such a rich parental background. The parents do not need to feel guilt-ridden when they have done all that they can to rear their children rightly. In spite of such, he goes astray. But even though their hearts will break over a wayward child, parents must also realize that ultimately the child is responsible. For he has reached that age to make his own choices and thus his own destiny as well. Hannah is another mother that we can look up to. She looked at motherhood as a privilege. Go with me, if you will, to 1 Samuel chapter 1. In 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 11, she vowed a vow and and said, O Lord of hosts, If thou will indeed look on the affliction of thy handmaid, and remember me, and not forget thy handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life. And there shall no razor come upon his head. She considered motherhood as a privilege not a privation. A barren womb was considered an affliction, Genesis twenty nine thirty two. In 1 Timothy 2.15 it reads that notwithstanding she be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. And yet we find that many women today prefer a career to a child, a house to a home, or freedom to a family. But what we notice with Hannah, first off, is that she was prayerful. She was in the bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore, 1 Samuel 1.10. But here in 1 Samuel 1, verses 10 through 28, it constitutes a very marvelous study that gives us the fine art of praying, which she done, that we can pattern after. In verses 10 through 15, it teaches us what prayer is. It's a pouring out of one's soul unto God. And so it's not a set of repeated, stereotype, memorized sentences spoken to God. In verse 12, it teaches us to be persistent in our praying. And it came to pass as she continued praying before the Lord. It says that she multiplied to pray. 
Verse 11 also teaches us to pray according to the will of God. And she bowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, yet thou when indeed look on the affliction of thy handmaid. John wrote, and this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. Did, our, did not our Lord pray thusly as well? Matthew twenty six thirty nine. He did. Verses 11 and 27 teaches us to also the practice specificity in our prayers. Give unto thee thy handmaid a man child. For this child I prayed. You know our prayers at times are so meaningless because they are so general. Why not make it a practice to regularly call the names of those for whom we pray? The preacher, the sick, our enemies, the lost, the rulers. Why not specify the blessings that we need and at times for the sins for which we seek pardon as well? Verse 18 teaches us that prayer brings release and it brings peace. Out of abundance of mine complaint, her complaint, she had spoken unto God. After such, she went her way and did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. You see, in prayer, burdens are lifted, hearts are mended, eyes are dried, and souls are refreshed. Strength is restored. It's no wonder that we sing, Blessed Hour of Prayer. Verses 11 and 28 also teaches that we should follow through with our prayers as well. In verse 11 we read where she promised to give the child to the Lord. And in verse 21 she says, As long as he liveth, he shall be lent to the Lord. Surely nothing could be wrong with making promises, pledges, or vows to God in our prayers. For many have done so in periods of deep despair. Accordingly, such must be enacted by us. In verse 27, he teaches us that God answers prayer, often given the very thing for which we pray. She said, For this child I prayed, and the Lord had given me my petition which I have asked of him. Now, many are the passages where such is assured that if we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness... He'll take care of us. If we pray to Him, He'll listen to us. 1 Samuel 2, verses 1 and 2 teaches us that there are to be prayers of thanksgiving as well. And praise that should follow our prayers of request. Notice that Hannah had prayed and said, My, my heart rejoiceth. Mine horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth is enlarged over mine enemies. Because I rejoice in thy salvation. There is none holier as the Lord. For there is none beside thee. Neither is there any rock like our God. And in verse 7, we find that she was also worshipful. As he did so year by year. And when she went up to the house of the Lord, 1 Samuel 1. So she provoked her, therefore she wept and did not eat. We read of Hannah, Anna, 
where there was one Anna, a prophetess, a, a daughter of Phanel uh, of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fasting and prayers night and day. Luke 2. Most of us have learned what we know of worship, that we should attend, that we must behave, what we should do at the knee of a godly and worshipful mother. No, most congregations of our Lord would have disappeared from the community if it had not been for the women who had continued to worship. And how grateful we should be to such great women of God as well. We also find that 1 Samuel 1, 27 and 28, that she dedicated that one child to the Lord. The one child that the Lord had blessed her with. In 1 Samuel 1, 27 and 28, she said, For this child I prayed, and the Lord had given me my petition which I asked of him. Therefore also I had lent him to the Lord. As long as he liveth, shall he be lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. You go to 1 Samuel chapter 2 and you look at verse 11. And the child did minister unto the Lord. But verse 18, but Samuel ministered before the Lord, being a child, girded with a linen ephod. Moreover, his mother made him a little coat, brought it to him from year to year, when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. And Eli blessed Elkanah and his wife and said, the Lord give thee seed of this woman for the loan, which is lent to the Lord. And they went unto their own home. Verse 26, And the child Samuel grew on and was in favor, both with the Lord and also with men. You go to chapter 3 and verse 1, And the child Samuel had ministered unto the Lord before Eli. Verse 19, And the Samuel grew and the Lord was with them and did not let none of his words fall to the ground. When Rees Bryant, many years ago, had told his mother that he was going to Africa as a missionary, she responded, My prayers have been answered. She had a good husband. Hannah did. Elkanah was worshipful for Samuel 1.3. He loved his wife, 1 Samuel 1, 5. And he respected the word of the Lord, 1 Samuel 1, verse 23. You know, a good husband is usually the product of a good wife. Being a good wife is the best that gift that any woman can give herself as well. We come to number three with the widow of Zarephath. This account of the widow of Zarephath is divinely recorded in 1 Kings 17. And from this text we learn several things concerning her. Several things. Number one, she was acquainted with grief. She had lost her husband there in verse 9. Her material goods in verse 12. Her son in verse 17. 
She has as her counterpart with the widows within the congregations we have that we where we attend, and often is the case that such ones are those who attend the ladies' Bible class. They're the ones who visit thereafter. They're the ones that care for the children during the visitation meetings, teach, teach preschool and primary classes, that assist with all the other things that are needed. They tidy the meeting house. They prepare the emblems. What noble works. But again, performed by those who are so deeply acquainted with grief over the loss of a husband. May they never go unnoticed. Nor may we ever fail to give them the due honor. She put God first, is what's interesting. And that even in the midst of difficult circumstances as well. Though the famine was rampant, the starvation was imminent, verse 12. She made a little cake for the prophets first, verse 13. She's illustrative of the principle that's emphasized there in Matthew 6 and verse 33. To put... First, the kingdom of God. Seek you first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. God must be first in our time. He must be first in our talents and our money. Yea, even even in the difficult times as well. If we're not careful when revenue comes, God's work will be the first to suffer. She shared under adverse circumstances and thus becomes an example of sacrificial Giving in verses 12 and 13. And again, she and her counterpart and the poor widow of Luke 21, who upon giving her two mites, gave all that she had. Remember the property stricken Macedonians in 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5? What faith had indwelt the heart of each of these examples? When we go through our houses and and we enumerate what we have and then go and count the, the monetary value of our automobiles on our church parking lots. We will see just how difficult it is to be sacrificial in our giving. But to this end, we must strive. You see, our giving tests the depth and the sincerity of our faith, perhaps, is no other Christian responsibility. Do we actually believe Romans 12, 8. Do we really believe Luke 6 and 38? You know, she learned that you cannot lose in giving. You know, it was all because of her action that we read in 1 Kings 17, 14 through 16. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, the barrel of mill shall not waste, neither shall the Cruise of oil fell unto the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did accordingly to the saying of Elijah. And she and he and her house did eat many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not. Neither did the cruise of oil fell according to the word of the Lord which he spake by Elijah. It was never loving that emptied the heart, nor giving that emptied the hand. Only the hand open to give is open to receive. The more roses are plucked, the more they bloom. And because of their very natures, which sea is the loser, the Sea of Galilee or the Dead Sea? 
The bountiful soul shall be blessed. Proverbs 22.9 The liberal soul shall be made fat. Proverbs 11.25 And the bountiful shall reap bountifully. 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 6. She supplied the needs of another by using what she did have. We find that the need and the hunger of Elijah for food was supplied by the cake that she made. Verses 13 through 15. But listen to what Paul wrote when he wrote to the Philippian church. In Philippians 4, 15 through 18, he says, Now ye Philippians, know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. We also find in Acts eleven twenty-nine and 30 that tells us concerning the Antioch church, that the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren, which dwelt in Judea, which also they did, and sent to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. In 1 John 3 and verse 17, he instructs us there that whoso hath this world's goods, and seeth his brother we have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? You see what a joy it is to know that by our monetary giving, the needs of missionaries, widows, and orphans are also supplied in other places. She also learned that God's power was always sufficient to the need. We find that the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which was spoke or spake by Elijah, verse 16. You see, our God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful, Genesis 17.1. Was not God adequate at the Red Sea in Exodus 14, or at Jordan in Joshua 3, or at Jericho, Joshua 6? Or even in the lion's den, Daniel 6. But indeed he was. And how strengthening to read Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, that says, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. We come to the fourth lady, woman, mother, the story of the Shunammite woman. As we find in 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 8 through 37. And what's interesting is that we notice in verse 8 of chapter 4 of 2 Kings that she is called a great woman. Why would she be thus called? She was willingly hospitable. In addition to being told that Elisha off ate her bread, we read where she said to her husband, Let us make a little chamber, verse 10, I pray thee, on the wall, and let us set for him there a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick 
And it shall be when he cometh to us that he shall turn in thither. You know, Peter exhorts us to use hospitality one to another without grudging, First Peter 4, 9. Peter even wrote to Philemon, or Paul wrote to Philemon and said, But withal prepare me also a lodging, for I trust that though that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. Philemon 1.22 I mean, how often have brethren been strengthened by after-service socials in someone's home or eating a meal with several brethren during the gospel meeting? Others, during periods of difficulty, have had brethren to open their homes even for some extended period. But she was also a discerner of character, verse 9, where she said unto her husband, Behold now, I perceive that this is a holy man of God which passes by us continually. You know, this trait is so important in forming our associates with ourselves, 1 Corinthians 15:33, as well as informing our children concerning such matters. She could see the good in others, very important. Look at verse 9 again. Where she said unto her husband, Behold, now I perceive that this is a holy man of God. Barnabas could always see the good in others, Acts 9, Acts 15. The bee sees the nectar in the flower, whereas the buzzard sees only the dead carcass, which represents us, doesn't it? She was not overly assertive, but submissive. Notice the attitude that she assumed there in verses 9 and 10. She was suggesting in her approach how wonderful it was that this man was a man of God. And so that we need to provide for him. She's an Old Testament example of the New Testament teaching in Ephesians 5.22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Colossians 3.18 reads, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. She was also good in spite of the evil days in which she lived. Jehoram, the son of Haziah and grandson of Ahab, was on the throne. We find out that he brought evil in the sight of the Lord, and, but not like his father and like his mother. For he put away the image of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he cleaved unto the sins of Jeroboam, the son of uh, Nebat, which made Israel to sin. And he departed not therefrom, 2 Kings 3, 2 and 3. You see, such was the case with Enoch in Genesis 5. Paul spoke of the saints in the household of wicked Caesar, Philippians 4, 22. Men can go wrong under such favorable circumstances, Genesis 3. But they can live right under such unfavorable circumstances as well. What encouragement it is that wives are to their husbands who are wicked, to young people on an ungodly campus, to employees who must work among those who live on the wrong side of the tracks. Even thou, being pious, she was not exempt from bereavement. bereavement. Because we read of her son dying there in verse 20. Job was not exempt in Job 1 with his children. Nor were Mary and Martha in John 11 with her brother. 
We must remember that suffering is no indication of the victim being sinful. John 9, 1-3. She had a strong faith as well. In verse 23, in conversation with her husband, and he said, Wherefore wilt thou go to him to today? It is neither new moon nor Sabbath. And she said, It shall be well. It shall be well. Then concerning the Gehazi being sent to her and her response, we're told, Run now, verse 26, I pray thee to meet her and to say unto her, It is well with thee. It is well with thy husband. Is it, is it well with the child? And she answered, It is well. Of Abraham, we read that he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in the faith giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that when he had promised that he was, all, he was able also to perform. Romans 4, 20 and 21. I wonder how strong is our faith? Is our faith strong enough to say with the psalmist, for the Lord God is the sun and the shield, that the Lord will give grace and glory, no good thing will he be behold from them that walk uprightly? Psalm eighty four eleven. Is our faith strong enough to say with Paul, for we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, that we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens, 2 Corinthians 5.1. The strength of our faith will actually determine the happiness of our lives. She reigned her will to God's, verse 26. Notice her response. Even though her son was dead, she says, run now. I pray thee to meet her and say unto her, Is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with thy child? And she answered, It is well. Though her, though his children had been lost in a transatlantic voyage, H.G. Spafford could still write one year after their death and in loving memory of them, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. We wish a happy Mother's Day to all those that are present this morning. We hope that Some of these outstanding women of the Old Testament will be nothing but an encouragement. Go back and read these texts. Be encouraged. We could go even further and go into Proverbs 31 and read about that wonderful woman there. Far above rubies. I think that best blessing that you could ever give your children as a mother is to be a child of God, a Christian. You will teach more to your children by your actions than you will by your words. If you're not a child of God, can we encourage you to become one? By believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
our repentance of those sins and making that good confession that Jesus is Lord and then be baptized in that watery grave for the remission of your sins. Your children will have a lot more respect for you as a, as a Christian mother than they did with just a mother. And thus they know which way that they ought to turn when that time comes for them or if they've wandered away to come back. You see, it's just as important to be a a child of God, a, a Christian mother, as it is to be one who's been restored because you've fallen. If you've gone by the wayside, come back, be right with God once again. God's not willing that any should perish, but that all will come to repentance. 2 Peter 3, 9. But come back and be right. Allow God to enter back into your life as you repent and pray for that blood of Jesus Christ to continue to cleanse you. Today is the day of salvation. Tomorrow may be too late. We hope that you'll make that decision right now.